today on Ag News Daily. I, I think one of the number one problems finding facing landowners is, you know, how do they find a good uh, how do they find a good grower? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, flying solo on today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney still down in Chile, working with uh, soybean exporters and importers down there, trying to get more U.S. beans out of this country and into the hands of foreign folks who need the high-quality protein we produce here in the good old U.S. of A., So I will still be flying solo, and I tell you what, we've got a lot going on. Those of you who are on the production side of agriculture, maybe you watched the markets today. Holy cow! Yesterday's outside reversal in corn and wheat was carried through today. We saw tremendous gains pretty well across the grain markets. Livestock took off early in the day and then faded into the close, with the lone exception of lean hogs. And we will get to that in just a little bit, because... There was some other news that came out. I know a lot of folks are out there right now. They're getting their fields prepped, getting ready to hopefully get some corn or beans in the ground should the fields ever dry out. And a lot of, or at least one portion of what a lot of folks will be spraying on their fields is Roundup, long produced by Monsanto. Now, of course, it's just generic glyphosate. And Roundup continues to be in the news. These lawsuits against Monsanto now bear have uh, continued to rock that company. Bear sh- Bear the shares of Bear, I should say, dropped by as much as 5% today after a court ruling in California. I don't know if you folks have seen this or heard about this, but a jury awarded a California couple who has used Roundup on their yard for the past 30 years to billion dollars. That's billion with a B. And that uh, basically the jury found that Roundup was the proximate cause of this couple's cancer. And holy cow, this is the largest love uh, settlement or not settlement, largest whatever award in these allegations and, and lawsuits over Roundup's cancer causing properties. Holy cow. Bayer, which purchased Monsanto last year, I'm sure those of you remember is uh, probably not thrilled by this verdict. Of course, there will be an appeal. Uh, punitive damages were set at $2 billion. Then they added another, you know, because you need some spare change. They had another $55 million in compensatory pay, compensatory pay, compensatory pay, whatever, additional monies. Uh, they're saying that glyphosate had been defectively designed and that the company failed to warn of the herbicide's alleged cancer risk. Now, remember, EPA has still come out and said glyphosate is not a cancer-causing agent. But uh, thanks to the lawsuit that happened last year, now we're going to be seeing a lot more of these. Uh, the spokesman for Bayer said the jury's decision was, quote, excessive and unjustifiable. But, uh, you know, this is the third verdict to come out against uh, Monsanto Bayer over the past year. And J.P. Morgan has written about this. They said uh, they anticipate a lot of the $2 billion damages to be reduced on appeal. I assume that is also what Bayer is hoping. But, man, I tell you what, so if you're using Roundup this year, geez, I mean... I'm going to say be careful, but glyphosate is pretty gosh darn safe, according to all the reputable science. But, uh, you know, 
I don't know. I guess I'm just surprised that we're seeing these successful verdicts come about people who have used Roundup in a lawn, lawn and garden situation. We're not seeing this happen against farmers. Uh, we're not seeing farmers suing the company, uh, generally speaking, or at least we're not hearing of those lawsuits being successful if, in fact, they are being sued. And that's just fascinating to me. Two billion dollars. Holy cow. Well, we also had some news out of the White House. President Trump insisted today that talks with China have not collapsed. He said that U.S.-China trade war is a, quote, little squabble. And this is as we are getting ready to put 25% tariffs on all remaining Chinese imports. That additional, I think it's roughly $325 billion worth of goods and products that we bring over from China. They are probably going to be hit with 25% tariffs. And yet... The market seems to be of a mindset that as of right now, just like Angie Setzer talked about yesterday in our Market Monday segment, we got to get a crop in the ground if we're going to see prices collapse. And uh, we saw planning progress yesterday. We didn't talk about it much with Angie, but um, states are way behind. The big one, the headline number, is Illinois. Is it 11% completed on their corn plantings versus their five-year average of 82%. So they are significantly behind. Iowa's behind. Indiana's behind. Ohio's behind. Uh, we continue to see the Corn Belt, all of the Corn Belt, as a matter of fact, is suffering through these this wet and cold and miserable, quote-unquote, spring that we have been having so far. So it does sound like that has caught the market's attention. Maybe we're beginning to see things rebound a little bit. And... Uh, I don't know. I'd like to say we'd see some stability come back into prices, but a day like today is not at all stable. We ran the markets up pretty well across the board, had a little sell-off around noon, 11 o'clock, and then kind of bounced back heading into the close. So phenomenal day uh, being driven by concerns over planting pace. Another thing that we have concerns about in this country, or at least the political class has concerns about it, and those of us in agriculture should be paying attention to it, is electric vehicles. China is the current leader in electric vehicle battery manufacturing. They have much fewer regulatory guidelines, as I think we are all aware. And that means they've been able to open mines for rare earth minerals, mines and processing facilities, much, much faster than we have been able to do in this country. Well, that has some folks in Congress a little nervous. So the U.S. Senate today moved forward on a plan to develop an electric vehicle supply chain. Effectively, what they want to do is conduct a full audit of all of the uh, supplies we have, uh, minerals and whatever, doodads that are required to manufacture these EV batteries. So then we can get a feel for, okay, how fast could this country crank out these electric batteries if this trade war with China should drag on? They're trying to become less reliant on Chinese, in particular, rare earth metal production and trying to ramp that up here. And um, as of right now, apparently this was shocking to me. We don't know. How many minerals we have? We don't know what the current standing is. Probably individual companies have done their own audits of their own supplies. But from a government perspective, we have no idea. So that's what this legislation is designed to do. Conduct the audit, figure out just, okay, what do we have in our shores? What is accessible? What is mineable? What is processable? And, uh, you know, how can we get this thing cranked up? This matters, I think, for those of us in agriculture, because we've talked about this pretty well every time ethanol has come up. Ethanol, phenomenal source of ethane, or excuse me, of octane, when blended with conventional crude oil, blended with Arbob gasoline. 
That's a great demand source for us in rural America. What are the threats to ethanol? Not getting rid of the RFS, the threat to ethanol long-term is that these electric vehicles do become competitive and they do become reliable for long-distance road trips or for people who, like me, do not want to have to stop halfway on my way to a gig and plug in my car for 15 hours. If electric cars take off, that is going to put a serious damper in ethanol demand going forward. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this story. As of right now, we're just getting figured out what the state of U.S. rare earth and mineral production looks like. Then they'd still have to change regulations and laws to allow for processing. You know, we're a long ways away from making the U.S. a leader in EV battery production. But it certainly sounds as though Congress is ready to take that first step here this month. Now, we've got some other news coming out of the Equipment Dealers Association. They released their monthly flash report and found that the sales of all tractors in the U.S. were up 12% in April compared to a year ago. Two-wheel drive smaller tractors were up 17% compared to last year. The tractors, row crop tractors we see a lot on American farms, 40 horsepower to 100 horsepower, were down 2%. But this is the number that, that kind of shocked me. Two-wheel drive, high horsepower, 100-plus horsepower tractors were up 7%. Here's the number. Four-wheel drive tractors in the month of April were up 32% over a year ago. Now, last year was not a great year for a lot of folks making purchases. This could just be delayed purchasing that's rolled forward till now. And I've got to imagine folks looking out at the wet and muddy conditions are thinking, maybe this is the year a four-wheel drive begins to make a lot of sense. Um so we'll continue to to watch this. If you have bought a four-wheel drive tractor just to get through spring, let us know. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Ag News Daily in both places. Log in there. Let us know what you're thinking. Why'd you make that purchase? Why did you make that purchase in 2019, given all of the uncertainty that we have ahead of us? Here's another story. A lot of us in rural America, myself absolutely included, visit Walmart. Uh, they are prominently across the country and they provide a lot of services you know we see eye doctors at walmart walmart allows for some banking services they announced today they're going to be doing a new providing a new service and that is veterinary care they are launching an online pet pharmacy so that's step one so you can like log on and get medications and whatnot for your pets and have them delivered right to walmart but they are also going to be opening vet clinics in Walmart stores. How that's going to work, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with people bringing their dogs in to have them hang out right next to my bananas or apples that I'm trying to buy at the Walmart grocery store. I'm sure they've got smart people trying to figure this out. But what I want to know, and I don't have an answer to this, I assume their focus is going to be on small animals. But man, wouldn't it be fantastic to back a 32-foot cattle trailer up to the sliding doors of Walmart and herd, I don't know, 15 head of feeder calves right into the vet, the vet station there at the Walmart store? I, I'd love it. And that would allow me to pick up things that I always need, such as light bulbs for my trailer and turn signals and, you know, SMV signs that always fall off all of my tractors. So, I mean, I, it's two birds with one stone. I'm pretty excited about it. They say their overall goal is to beat competition on price, which is something that Walmart has always uh, strived to do. They want to lower the average cost of pet ownership, 
And this is also the way that they are trying to get in good with millennials. The millennial generation owns lots and lots of pets, and they spend stupid amounts of money on their pets, and they're the customers who are least likely to visit Walmart. So they're hoping by bringing them in for vet service, they can then lock them down and uh, provide, you know, groceries and pharmacy stuff, doodads from around the house. So we'll keep an eye on it. Certainly interesting to see develop. I've got to imagine this will get rolled out in metropolitan areas first. I, I can't imagine Walmart wants me showing up with a cattle trailer full of feeders. So I'm betting the Grinnell Walmart will be one of the last places to get this edition. Well, today is our hashtag Tech Tuesday, and we are talking about a company that is trying to revolutionize the way landowners and farmers negotiate rents. It's a company called Tillable. We'll be talking with Corbett Cole here, excuse me, Corbett Cole here in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's jump into the markets. And as I mentioned, grains are green all down the screen. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, folks, We've got opportunities ahead of us. It may not seem like it. Today hopefully gives us a little bit of optimism. But if you want to capture those opportunities and mitigate your marketing risk, give our friends at Zaner a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050. Or you can always visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Here we go. Corn, July contract up 12 and a quarter cents at 368 and three quarters. The December up 11 and a quarter to finish at 387 and three quarters. Soybeans, big winners on the day. July up 29 cents, closed at 831 and a half. November new crop also up 29 to finish at 856 and a half. Chicago wheat strength continued from yesterday. The July contract up 11 and a half cents at 448 and a half. December up 11 as well to finish at 470 and three quarters. Livestock did turn red towards the end of the day. June live cattle down 25 cents at 109.50. The August down 20 cents, closed at 106.72 and a half. In August feeder cattle, they were down 60 cents at 142.50. September down 72.50, finished the day at 143.57 and a half. And lean hogs. Trading expanded daily trading limits today. Yesterday, of course, we were limit down in the hog complex. Today, June live hogs up $2.45 at 89.12.50, gained back almost all of yesterday's losses. And the July was up 2.30 to close at 90.05. Now, the dairy market was mixed today. We did not see a whole lot of strength there in class three milk. The May contract was down three cents at 16.27, with the June up two, finishing at 16.18. Without further ado, let's jump over to the conversation Delaney and I had with Corbett Cole, Corbett Cool, I'm sorry, Corbett, about Tillable. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we've got on the line with us Corbett Cool, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company I'm sure you've heard of called Tillable. Corbett, I've seen ads in the radio, ads on billboards. Tell me about the background behind Tillable and how you guys came to be today. Oh, cool. Uh, thanks, Delaney. Um, yeah, so the idea for Tillable really came from uh, kind of a chance encounter that I had with one of my friends um, shortly after I had started my first ag tech uh, company. Um, he called me up one day and said, hey, Corbett, I inherited a farm from my grandmother, not exactly sure what to do, and uh, could you help me? And that really kind of opened my eyes to some of the challenges facing uh, landowners 
as they try to find a, a tenant to rent their farm and really try to manage the farm uh, sustainably over the years. So it was, again, it, it happened totally by accident and uh, me trying to help my friend out uh, in, in understanding how to manage this farm that he inherited. And so bring us up to speed. What happened to your friend? What did you end up doing to help him? And, and how did that give rise to Tillable? Yeah, so um, basically what I did was I uh, I found out where his farm was located and a little bit about about the farm, and I just started doing research online. Uh, since I was already in agriculture, I kind of knew what some of the tools were available that were available not only you know from the USDA but also from the various uh, you know state universities. And, and calling a few growers to find out what they thought the farm would be worth from a rental standpoint. And I, I basically pulled together a bunch of information, sent it over to my friend, and I ran into him a few weeks later. And he said, hey, Corbett, uh, you know, guess what? I was able to find, uh, uh, find a great grower to rent the farm. I was able to uh, increase the amount of rent that we're getting on the farm. And uh, it really... You know, he was very appreciative uh, uh, for the assistance that he got. But as I started digging into the market, I realized that it's uh, a $32 billion a year business uh, across the U.S. Uh, 40% of all farmland is rented. Uh, in in Iowa, that number is over 50% of the farmland is rented. And in uh, in Illinois, the number is well over 60%. So it's, it's one of those businesses that not a lot of people know a lot about, you know, the average person walking down the street. But when you tell them how big the industry is, they're kind of shocked that it's still being done, you know, pretty much all offline, all via word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of an old school way of doing things, doing business compared to maybe some other industries. So how did you turn that story of working with your friend into the platform that we see today as Tillable? Yeah, well, it's, it, it really, I, I think one of the number one problems find, facing landowners is, you know, how do they find a good, uh, how do they find a good grower, right? So many times landowners think there may only be one or two growers interested in their farm. So, you know, how do we create a situation where uh, a, a landowner can find out who all the growers are in a particular area? So that's kind of uh, one of the number one problems facing landowners. The second problem is there's not good data uh, that, of what uh, land is really worth from a rental standpoint. So uh, it really kind of led me to believe that the best approach to solving the problem was some type of marketplace approach. So a marketplace of growers who might be interested in renting farmland uh, and a marketplace of landowners who might be looking for new growers to rent their land too. So that's, that's really kind of how I uh, settled upon this really being more of a, a marketplace approach and not, it's not just, a, you know, like classified ads, here's land for rent. Well, let's talk about the, the kind of the history of Tillable in action. How long have you guys been working to pair farmers with landowners? Yeah, so we've uh, uh, we've completed our second rental season, uh, you know, so far. So in 2018, we did some beta testing. Uh, 2019, we were actually in production uh, renting farmland. And the way it worked for 2019 was we um, allowed landowners to cre create a listing. 
they set an offer period for how long they want to receive offers from growers uh, to rent the land. And then um, we received uh, offers from multiple growers uh, to rent the farmland. Once the landowner chooses the grower that they want to rent to, uh, we sign the lease electronically in, on Tillable. Uh, we collect payments electronically uh, through Tillable. And then um, uh, we help the landowners collect data about what's taking place on the farm uh, throughout the growing season. So it's really uh, meant to be a tool to allow uh, landowners to become, you know, really better landowners, understand you know, who are the growers in that area that might be interested in renting their farmland, and then making sure that the landowners are getting fair market value uh, for their farmland. Again, if you remember what I said a few minutes ago, uh, a lot of landowners really don't know what their farmland is worth, and there's there's not a ton of great data sources out there. So we're really trying to solve that through a price discovery process. Absolutely. So from a landowner perspective, when you look at the demographics or the breakdown of the folks maybe registering their ground on Tillable as a landowner, do you see a lot of them being like your friend um, that maybe had a family farm, were disconnected from it or didn't work there anymore and wanted to just make sure it got into good hands? Or do you see it being folks who live in cities that have ground out there maybe a couple of generations ago they farmed but are just really disconnected from farm ground? Or what do you see as the trend there as landowners? Yeah, we've seen a pretty good balance of both people that are local in the community uh, and also remote landowners. Uh, and we've seen, you know, a pretty good balance from an age demographic standpoint as well. So, I mean, both, uh, you know, both, uh, you know, younger uh, landowners that might be in their 40s or 50s, but also older landowners that are in their 60s and 70s uh, renting their land uh, via tillable. So it's been a balance. I, I would say... Um, Obviously, because we're a digital platform, the tendency is probably more for uh, the younger generation. And then also, uh, I think there probably is a tendency for more remote landowners to want to use a tool like Tillable. But so far, we've seen a pretty good balance between the two. Now, I want to talk about something you've just recently announced, which is the hassle-free lease from Tillable, where my understanding is you're basically going to become re-renters of farm ground. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the hassle-free lease is? Yeah, so one of our experiences in working with landowners the first couple of seasons was that they were really looking for an easier way to rent their farmland. And, you know, although we think Tillable is is a step in the right direction, we think uh, the hassle-free lease really kind of supercharges that or really makes it even easier for landowners. So the way that works is we uh, we go to a landowner and say, look, we will rent your land uh, uh, from you for either one or three years uh, for, the, for the upcoming season. So for example, we're putting hassle-free leases in place for the 2020 growing season. We will pay the landowners upfront uh, either in, anywhere between one to three years uh, to rent that farmland, then Tillable will put the land on the platform. Uh, so we will create the listing. Uh, we'll do all the interactions with the farmers, uh, sign the leases, uh, collect the payments, and also make sure that the farms are being uh, taken care of. And we do that by monitoring the 
uh, the data that we can collect on the farmland from the farm machinery, et cetera. So it's really, uh, we're really trying to simplify it for landowners. We allow them to pull their rent payments forward in time, which, you know, a lot of landowners have uh, large, uh, large needs for, um, you know, one-time uh, cash needs for, you know, either paying their farm off or uh, maybe they're trying to help some grandkids out or something like that. But we allow them to pull the rent payment forward in time. Um, they get paid up front and then total takes care of all of the, all the pain or the hassle of managing the farm. Uh, and uh, it's really an easier way for them to rent the farmland. Huh. That's really interesting. So, as you as you keep mentioning here, there's really not a lot of data for figuring out, you know, maybe the best pricing or what the farm ground is worth. How do you take that into account? And also the fact that we're not really in a great time right now, commodity-wise, prices aren't the best, and maybe farmers can't afford to pay as much rent-wise as they would in, in the good years. How do you factor all those into finding the best price of rent for producers and landowners both? Uh, yeah, so I, what's one advantage that Tillable uh, has is obviously we already have a great deal of transactional data to know uh, what land has rented for in prior years and what land is uh, going to rent for uh, for the for the 2020 season. But we're taking into account um, our proprietary data uh, around transactions. We do look at the USDA data. Uh, we look at uh, the county yields, uh, and then we look at the local demand characteristics. You know, how many farmers in a particular area uh, might uh, already be on the tillable platform. And that helps us create a predicted rent of what we think things will rent for for the 2020 season. And then obviously, we'll take a look at uh, commodities prices as well. So um, the nice thing for the landowner is, um, especially today, if you think about it, a lot of crops have not gotten in the field. There's a lot of concerns, uh, you know, for the 2019 growing season. Uh, there's ongoing trade issues, obviously the ongoing trade issues with China that uh, could play a factor uh, in, uh, in not only commodities prices, but how that might impact uh, rents for the 2020 season. When a landowner signs up with Tillable, they get to lock their rent in for the next one to three years, and they don't have to worry about all of those, uh, you know, economic conditions that might be going on. Tillable is taking all that risk on, and we feel like we can manage that risk pretty well with, uh, because we've got some of the best, uh, best data in the industry around uh, what rents are and where rents are headed for the upcoming season. Well, and you hit on something there, uh, Corbett, that really it strikes me as interesting. You guys, or, or Tillable, will be assuming a tremendous amount of rent with the hassle-free lease. I mean, you're going to be responsible for finding growers and, and making sure these properties get farmed for the next year. And what's your take on farmer signups? How is that side of the, the marketplace going there at Tillable? It's going, it's going tremendously well. I mean, farmers are trying to find a better way to expand. Uh, they're trying to find uh, a better, better way to acquire more land. And, uh, you know, up until today, before Tillable came along, it was a very uh, inefficient process. So, it, you know, 
the same problem that faces landowners also faces the growers. You know, how does a grower get access to more landowners? How does a grower find farms that might be convenient for them to farm? And we hear stories all the time where a grower sees a farm listed on Tillable and he calls us up and says, hey, you know, I'm really interested in renting that farm. I had no idea who even owned that farm. And I'm really glad to see it listed because I might farm the, the farm right next to it or be just a mile or two away. So as growers are looking to expand, they're looking to expand in an efficient way. They're looking to uh, optimize uh, logistics, right? So obviously, if a farm is too far away from their home base operation, that's going to be difficult for them to uh, farm that efficiently. So efi uh, efficiency for the grower is really, really important. And with Tillable, a grower can go on there and check frequently and get notified when farms come uh, on the platform in their area. So it's uh, we really see it as being uh, very beneficial to the growers as well when they can uh, efficiently find more farmland to farm. Corbett, you mentioned that this is really the second growing season maybe that you guys have been connecting landowners and producers to getting ground. How many acres have you had registered through your site so far? Um, we've, we've had a total of about, uh, I think it's about 100,000 acres uh, registered on the platform. We haven't transacted on all of those acres yet. Uh, uh, some of those, uh, some of those farms were created, you know, mid season or, um, they've yet to be, uh, transacted and we have, uh, well over, uh, 5,000 growers on the platform already. So we're, we've made really great progress in a short period of time. I should also mention that we're really focused on the heart of the corn belt, uh, and really, really focused on Illinois and Iowa specifically. Uh, you know, right now. So if a landowner um, or a grower uh, is either looking for more land or if a landowner is looking for growers to farm their land, uh, we've already got a pretty good, uh, pretty good base of uh, customers using the platform uh, in, in the heart of the Midwest. Now, Corvette, when we think about land, it is sometimes a very emotional decision to, to make the choice to change tenants or to you know go a different way with it. What level of commitment is there if I decide to post a farm for rent? Can I, can I change my mind and pull it back off the market if, uh, if a neighbor comes to me and wants to rent it? Or am I committed to working through the tillable process to the end? Yeah, in... Uh, in the in the way that we were working uh, prior to uh, let's say uh, the 2020 growing season, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a platform that where you could list land and then if at the last minute you decided to go with your current tenant, you could do that. Uh, but with the hassle-free lease and the way that works, is uh, there's always a possibility the current tenant could continue to rent it, uh, but uh, it, it's really going to be uh, tillable, trying to find the, the best, most qualified grower to farm the land. And once uh, a landowner signs a hassle-free lease uh, with uh, tillable, that is a binding commitment, and uh, that land will be listed on the platform. Huh. Well, this has been really interesting stuff, Corbett. I'm sure there's some stuff we haven't even even touched yet. If, if growers listening have questions, or maybe landowners listening have questions about how they can list their ground or get access to their ground, where should they go for more information? 
Well, I mean, they can uh, always feel free to go to uh, go to our website at chillable.com, uh, or they can give us a call at 833-845-5225. Uh, and when they go on to the website, uh, uh, you can even uh, chat with a member of our customer experience team if they would like to get more information. They don't necessarily want to talk on the phone. Um, so um, it's uh, we'd love to hear from landowners and growers uh, and see if we can assist them. Uh, we also have uh, people on the ground both in Illinois and Iowa, so it's uh, it's pretty convenient for us to even send a representative out to talk to either a landowner or a grower if they'd like to have a face-to-face conversation. Awesome. Well, Corbett, thank you so much for chatting with us and filling us in about your new platform, Tillable. No, thank you for your time. Really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully we can help out a number of your listeners. Well, folks, that does it for today's episode. Remember, you can always find us on social media. Just check out Ag News Daily on Facebook and on Twitter. Visit our website at agnewsdaily.com if you've missed any of the past episodes. And as always, stay well, try to stay dry here in this convoluted planting season. And with that, I'm going to let you go. (laughs) 